Welcome to the Principal's Office Podcast, where we believe that the principal's job is the most interrupted job on the planet, and creating a clear and cohesive plan is the best way to improve your school. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Miller. I'm the founder of Leaders Building Leaders, and it's my goal each week to introduce you to new strategies and initiatives that are improving schools across the country. You're going to learn leadership principles that are going to help you accelerate your growth, build your teams, and execute on those goals so you can exceed those expectations of the communities that you aim to serve. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can go to our website at lbleaders.com. But for right now, enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening. here. Hey, Shelly, it's great to see you. Well, what's up, everybody? Tom Miller here. Real excited to get this next session rocking and rolling here about what great principles do differently. And I'm still trying to get this uh, this live stream rocking here. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll just have to post it afterwards. So I really wanted to make sure I spent uh, some, some time today talking about those three particular principles uh, that I posted in the in the email, but I had promised uh, that I would tell I would tell a story uh, or or share how I I learned that I was making it cool to care and I didn't even know I was making it cool uh, to care and so it all kind of starts with uh, my my first my first year and a half as a as a middle school uh, director uh, I was pretty much on my way out I was <laughs> I was uh, I was about to be terminated and I didn't I didn't even really know it. And um, my um, director had come to me, or my superintendent in a sense, and he was just like, it doesn't really seem it's working out. Your 360 survey just came back and it was really bad. And he goes, I don't know, it just seems like you don't even know what you're really doing there in the middle school. (laughs) And I said, well, I've actually uh, never been in middle school before. I've been an elementary teacher and a high school uh, baseball coach. And um, I was never anything else. And he's like, oh, wow. Well, that seems uh, kind of crazy to fire you if you've never actually been trained how to do what you're doing. Maybe maybe our expectations are too high. So he had actually found a couple of conferences uh, uh, sponsored by the National Middle School Association, now called the AMLE, the Adolescent Middle Level Education Group. And um, and I had gone to this, to this uh, conference and learned all things about adolescents that I had no idea. And one of the things that I realized is that the majority of our staff uh, were either elementary trained who took a practice in middle school or high school trained who took a practice for middle school. So we had nobody on campus who actually understood adolescence and it really, really opened uh, my eyes. And so, um, so as I got back and I was in my doctoral program and, and at the time, you know, I just said, you know, come back from South Africa, uh, you know, from a trip as well. Right. So a lot of these learning experiences were like, you know, coupling on top of each other from one almost being fired to two being able to go to a conference to three you know spending two weeks in South Africa uh, studying education and really learned that when I was in South Africa if you've heard the story that I've shared about that about how building relationships is 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 the key building relationships is the key to effective education it's that or um, effective leadership and I wasn't really spending a lot of time, uh, uh, you know, doing that. And I know that my team was wore out by me because every single week that I was in a doctoral class or everything that I experienced was coming into the staff meeting and we were making adjustments and changes on the fly and nothing really aligned. I just actually asked my 
former uh, staff, like what, what kind of principal was I 10 years ago? And the common theme was misaligned, right? I just, I just had a lot of great ideas because I'm a creative person, but I wasn't able to really create alignment and, you know, carry them through the goal line. So when you have, when you try to create rigor without relationships, you're going to get resistance, everybody, right? Rigor, right, or rules with no relationships is going to lead to resistance. And that's what I was having over and over and over again. And so uh, as part of my dissertation study, I was, I was, I was going to study uh, the most effective K to eight uh, charter schools in North Carolina. And I asked 12 if I could participate or, you know, come for tours and five said yes. Here I was, I was on the brink of losing my job, right? I had, I had a, uh, my daughter was two at the time, right? So I had a little one at home. I was driving through my you know, doctoral program, traveling across the state of North Carolina to, to see these effective schools. And so there was a very clear theme in all of these schools. And if you could have guessed it already, the theme was every school was built on a strong foundation of values and relationships values and relationships. And when I think about what Todd Whitaker is talking about here, and there's a chapter making it cool to care, he's talking about values, right? He's really talking about belief systems and, and building relationships. And every single chapter, if you go back through this book, What Great Principles Do Differently, every single chapter, he's specifically talking about um, something around, you know, respect or relations, um, right? And treating, treating people, um, effectively, or I'm sorry, treating people through, you know, through the golden rule. So when I traveled to Community School of Davidson, right, um, that was the first, one of the first schools that I toured, and they had this, they had this, uh, uh, you know, ritual where kids would stand up in class um, during morning meeting, and they would give these uh, students a standing ovation, is what they called it. And, and Community School of Davidson comes from a basic school uh, model, if anybody knows Ernest Boyer and the basic school model, but it's a, it's a small adult to student ratio. And it's a school really, really focused on uh, building relationships and, so, and, uh, and uh, getting to know each other. So they would do these standing ovations where the, where the student would just get you know, five minutes and everybody would give him or her their um, attention and they would share like a couple of you know, you know, like private things about uh, themselves. And I was sitting with the uh, with the uh, director, Joy uh, Warner. Uh, I'm in a meeting, uh, you know, the first time I met her. And this young man came walking in, big guy. And uh, they were just opening up their high school uh, next year. And she looked at me and she said, he thinks he's here for like his placement test. But really, we're going to do some some interest inventories on him and find out what he likes, because we want to set him up with a couple of students who have similar interests. Um, who are already here. And we, so by the time that he comes ready for ninth grade here, he has relations and he knows some kids, you know, from our school. And I'm like, what the heck? We never, that's crazy. Really? You're going to, you know, waste, you know, have all this time. There's all these adults with him. The other school that I visited that, that was really strong in relationships was they called the mountain community school. And this is in Henderson, uh, North Carolina, uh, towards the mountains, towards Asheville. And so, you know, again, I was in this room and it's a, you know, smaller school. So Community School of Davidson has well over a thousand kids with a wait list of almost 5,000 uh, uh, students. Mountain Community School had, had a school of about 180 students. It was K-8 with one teacher per every grade level. And so I was, 
there for a Friday and they had this middle school meeting and it was the entire middle school was packed into this larger classroom, multi-purpose room, call it. And, and the principal was just saying, this is just an opportunity for middle school kids to thank and be grateful for other middle school kids who are helping them, right? Whether it's like being their friend, doing something nice for them, something that they didn't have to do, but they did, right? Whatever it may be, that's what they did. So here it was, these kids, you know, stood up and they started to say, hey, I wanted to thank, you know, Mary because she held the door for me, you know, the other day. Or I want to thank uh, Shelly because, uh, you know, last week I had a tough week and a couple of things happened and, you know, she listened to me and, and, you know, I mean, whatever it was, right? So these middle school kids just started kind of pouring out. Then like adults would do the same thing to each other. And it was like, I, was, I walked out of that school and it was a five hour drive home. And I was like, hmm, we're, we're totally missing something. And one of the cool parts of what he was doing there that uh, a principal was he built this point system. And uh, so at the end of the meeting, at the end of the uh, middle school meeting, um, he gave this big WWF kind of like championship belt to the seventh grade because they had earned the most points. And it was just, you know, it was just, you know, points for doing the right thing, um, you know, whatever it may be, you know, based upon the principles or their uh, positive behavior stuff. So again, that it's a five and a half, almost six hour drive home. I was like, we got, we got some changes, you know, to make. So when I returned to the, you know, to the school to uh, prepare for the next uh, school year, you know, I could definitely tell that my staff was anxious because they had known that I had spent the last four to five months in in South Africa in a conference and uh, studying all these effective schools, and they were terrified about what Tom Miller was going to come back and bring initiatives on their plate, all the things that they were going to be responsible for. And I said, um, I've had an incredible time and uh, you, we all need to be prepared because we need to step it up a notch, right? And so um, I said, we have one major initiative this year and that's to build relationships. That was it. That was the only thing we were going to do is we were going to focus on building relationships, adult to adult, right? School to home, home to school, student to student, whatever that may be. And I was the, the middle school director at grade six, seven, eight with about 225 kids, 12 staff. And so I started to kind of point, put my you know, vision out there of what this, what this may look like. And I told them about you know, Community School of Davidson's uh, standing ovations. And I told them about Mountain Community School's middle school meeting with their championship belt. And I just started asking, I said, what are the things that we just get really, really tired of here? And we just made this list, like, we're tired of kids not you know, coming to prepare to, to class. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm tired of picking up trash, even though we got all these you know, trash cans around. In other words, like, I'm tired of having to tell kids to tuck their shirts in and, you know, there's just the way that they treat each other. And I said, I said, okay. I said, what if we built, what if we build a positive system, a point system around the things that we no longer want to tell kids, no longer want to redirect kids about, let's just build a positive point system. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. And then, so I went out, I bought one of those, you know, championship belts, right? That was kind of the part one is we were going to revamp our positive system. Because if you remember, our school was built upon praise. It was a four to one praise to redirection expectation, you know, school-wide. And we needed to build more positivity into the school. And the other part was, I said, you know, I said, we don't really have the space for it. But wouldn't it be amazing if we could get our middle school 
you know, together for once. Now, every single day, the entire school lined up outside around this, you know, flag and did this, you know, flagpole and we did the ovation and, uh, or the, um, or the pledge and, uh, you know, a couple other pieces. That was the only time we were ever all together. I was like, what if, what if we were able to get them? Let's just say by grade level, let's just say by grade level, they came into a room, we had a room large enough and we just let them, we just taught them how to be, how to communicate their uh, gratuity, right? Like how they were thankful for uh, their friends. And, and we really got intentional to the point where we modeled it. So like, what if the adults went first? What if the adults thanked other adults first and then the adults thanked kids for, you know, kids next. And then we let the kids kind of do it. And we just, we just had this opportunity. I was like, what would really make it special? And I was like, I, you know, I, there was a standing ovations piece. I said, what if, what if every month, right, instead of the student of the month, we had the standing ovation where every adult had the opportunity to nominate one student and they gave them this, you know, particular card, right? This, this, uh, this one, this one particular sheet. Um, and so we had a graphic designer on our campus, you know, he was in charge of all of our, of all of our, um, all of our marketing and things. And so we came up with this, with this card, the standing ovations card, right? And here it was, it had the student's name on it. And on the back, it was kind of like a postcard, right? And the teacher could write exactly what they got it for. Now I left that middle school in 2011, December of 2011. Do you not know in 2021, they still use the same initiative? 10 years later, they're still doing this. So here was like, you know, an example of, of the teacher, you know, getting up and, you know, presenting who she gave the ovation to. And the amazing thing was, is that over time, what started to happen was, you know, tears were shed. Kids would really start to understand like what it meant to help each other out. Um, and every three weeks, we had this major event. Now, let me get back to the, to the positive points, right? And remember, the reasons why the kids got these cards was, had nothing to do with academics. I, I completely said, you know, this is not about kids learning. This is about kids who are doing the right thing. Not because, you know, Dr. Miller said to, it was because it was just the right thing to do. This is what we wanted, right? This is what we wanted to reward kids for because we live by these three M's, which was management or motivation, manage, uh, mastery and management. And, and that first M about, you know, motivating uh, students and really teaching them that they're just good human beings. And, and so, so we had that, you know, underway. Now the point system, right? So we started to give points to kids for being on time, being prepared, being in uniform, right? We put some clear parameters around what being a prepared meant. It meant that your shirt was tucked in, you had your belt on, you had everything you needed, you know, for class. And then we also gave them extra points if they picked up trash. Because these were the things that we didn't want to deal with anymore. As a staff, we were just tired of it. And so each, each week, right, every teacher would put their points into an Excel spreadsheet. And we had an administrator who was a teacher leader responsible for it. And so at the end of the week, we would give an update on the score. And every three weeks, whatever grade level had the most amount of points would get that WWF championship belt. 
And whatever school had the most points after nine weeks, we were going to take them off campus. Now, remember, this is a rural, a rural school. So we, you know, took them to ice skating rink. We took them to the beach. Like we had set up all these like full day trips and events, you know, for these uh, students that wasn't, you know, wasn't educational based. It was just a great reward opportunity. And it was about probably somewhat, you know, maybe about five to six weeks into this initiative where I walked into a staff meeting and it was hot and it was heated. And I said, whoa, 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 what are you all arguing about? And they said, the seventh grade has given too many points for trash. And it was when I looked at the other principal, I said, I think we're on to something here. They're actually arguing over, right, this initiative. <laughs> That you know that they wanted, you know they all wanted some you know fairness and equity because you know the teachers got rewarded just like the other ones did. And instead of a staff meeting about you know kind of all the junky things that sometimes happen in school, here they were having healthy conflict over how they were going to decipher who earned what you know points you know based upon the amount of trash that they were picking up. And I loved it. And I never read a Todd Whitaker book. And the first time I read it was five or six years ago. And it wasn't until maybe this weekend that I realized, oh, somehow, right, in an in a in, intentional, non-intentional way, I was able to make it cool to care. And we did that through our standing ovations and our positive points you know, program that, as I had mentioned, is still carrying on 10, 10 years later. Now, the greatest part about this is that, you know, relationships, the relationships are the key to effective leadership. There's, there's no doubt. If, if, if you don't have relationships, you won't be able to lead anybody because you won't value them. I, you know, and I still wasn't where I needed, you know, to be as a human. I was still, it, it was still years later that I was still working on, on myself to have a better character. But for those first two years, you know, all those initiatives that I was trying that weren't working out that pretty much almost got me fired if it wasn't for the fact that my superintendent asked me that one uh, question about whether or not I knew what I was doing. <laughs> they all started to work organically just happen, right? All the initiatives that I had tried and beat my head against the wall and I couldn't get to work, nobody would do them, right? All of a sudden, you know, people started to just grab hold of ideas. Teacher leaders started to appear everywhere, and they started to to really, you know, focus and bring ideas to the table and ask if they could try and do things and take risks. And as everything as I could, I gave them 100% autonomy, you know, you know, where I could to make to make decisions that were best, you know, for kids and the programs and lead their own classes and and things like that, right? We had our, you know, stable core, you know, curriculum and instructional methods, but where I could give them some freedom, I did. And that, you know, by far, like I didn't, I didn't know that, right? But uh, that was the start of me understanding how, how to make it cool to care, right? And how to, and how to utilize, you know, to accomplish things through, through people, right? Not to people. And that's where I had spent um, those first couple of years as a middle school director. So I think, so I think those are all of the notes that I had, except for specifically, I worked to eliminate the policies and procedures that took away um, the opportunity to make a choice, right? I gave, 
like for example, this is 2009 and 10, right? So cell phones in the hands of middle schoolers were just you know, starting to happen or walkie talkies or iPods and things like that. We used to have very strict and, and you know, rigorous you know, policies against it. And I just eliminated all of them. And a lot of you know, people were upset about it, but I just gave the kids you know, parameters around how it could happen. And you know what happened, Mary? You know exactly what happened. The kids did great with it. They had no issues. In fact, in fact, you know, the people that were on their phones most, right, were either teachers when they shouldn't have been mm-hmm. or a parent calling a kid or texting a kid during the school day. And I'd have to get on the phone and I'd say, uh, Mrs. Miller, please don't call during the school day. Here's my cell phone. You can call me and I'll relay that note to your child. And that was a huge, a huge part for me. You know, I didn't know Todd Whitaker. I didn't really understand probably even what I was doing. But going out to see those other schools, and you know, Mary's a part of this, and her school has hosted it. We have this, you know, principal leadership consortium where, pre-COVID, every quarter, I would bring as many school leaders as I could to a to an effective school, and we'd tour the school and we'd learn about the school. And we would and we would sit with the leadership team and ask them like, how did you do this? How did you do that? Because I believe that if you want to be more, you have to see more. So that's what really made the difference for me was the ability to go out and you know visit these five uh, charter schools, which were which I've already shared the two: Community School of Davidson, Mountain Community School, Greensboro Academy, uh, Mari and Joy Charter, and Franklin Academy were the five schools that were in my dissertation. And so, but my, my opportunity to sit with those really effective leaders and visit and tour those schools made a difference. And that's why that's a big uh, staple point of the programs that we have here in North Carolina and any state could do them, right? It's just a matter of, you know, getting a, a coalition or a, you know, consortium of schools, whether it's district, private, charter, doesn't matter. And, and just say, hey, we're all going to come to your school uh, on this day and, you know, tour and you know, give them some lunch. And it's, it's great to be able to brag on yourselves. We don't do it often enough. Uh, but that was, that was the catalyst for me. Therefore, it's a catalyst for, for our uh, programming. So I would love to kind of open it up here and, and just, you know, share what are, what are some of your thoughts around making it cool, you know, to care? What are some things that you've done to make it cool to care or, or some, you know, highlights from, from, from Todd's chapter? Nobody? Okay, so um, so I um, uh, um, one of the things that we do at um, South is our PBIS um, program. And so our matrix is um, rebel because we are the rebels. And our, our matrix stands for respect, excellence, belief, effort, and leadership. And uh, one of the things that we do um, is we have tickets that kids earn whenever they are um, portraying one of those characteristics. Um, and what we found was that the kids, what we did was 
the teachers will put the tickets in the mailbox in the in this little box we have and we would call the names call them down take their pictures put their pictures on the screens um and give them a little treat bag well what we found out through a survey is that they didn't like that <laughs> is that they really wanted the teacher they wanted to know what the teacher said like why did the teacher give me the ticket because they care about what the teacher thinks of them and so we made the transition to um, we still call their names over the announcements but we send the treat bags to the classroom of the teacher who gave it to them so that the teacher can then give them the bag and explain why they gave it to them um, so that they can see why that teacher cared enough about them or what their behavior was you know that stood out to them so that they know that the teacher who cared like who was the teacher who was the person who thought enough about me to give me a, a ticket and so that's an example of something that we've done to make it cool to care maybe i don't know that's really really powerful right because i think I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head about sometimes we don't give the kids enough credit, right? Or we, or we worse, assume the reward. And I, I don't want to call this, you know, teacher out, but it was a long time ago, so she probably won't remember. But when I was like a first or second year teacher, I was in charge of the interventions as a special ed teacher. And we had a teacher at the, the school, it used to be a, 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 a you know, tennis skirt mom type school and all of a sudden you know the county redrew the lines right we didn't look the same anymore and so they she had these uh you know kids in class and she did a morning meeting that was 45 minutes long for our first graders 45 minutes long and i said well how long how long do you think kids could sit and she goes oh they can't last five minutes i said well can we identify the problem here i mean you know you're asking them to <laughs> exceed expectations times nine and I said, well, if they were, let's say they were able to sit there for 10 minutes, what kind of reward would they get? And she said, oh, well, we get to hear the song Respect by Aretha Franklin. I was like, well, I love, I love Aretha. But I'm wondering if that's motivating enough for the children, right? Have we taken the time to ask them what they want, you know, as, as a reward, Robin? And I love what you had shared, right? The kids were like, no, 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 no. Like, we wouldn't know. Like, what specifically did I do? Because listen, this this head inside, you know, this our mind of ours is very cunning, and we don't we don't think of ourselves as successful only on rare occasions. We need feedback. We need it, and what a great opportunity that those kids gave the adults to actually share it. Right? It's kind of like one of the activities I've done. Mary's probably been a part of this. Is um, at the end, you know, we have this leadership game and it's a board game basically, but it's, you know, the leadership team will, you know, around the table kind of play. And one of the things that I have them do is like, hey, everybody around the table right now, take, take a post-it note and write one positive thing that you admire about each individual person, right? So say there's 10, you know, people in a room, that means I'm gonna walk out with nine nice comments about me. You would think that I gave them all a $10,000 bonus when they walk out of that room. And it's the little things that we can do to really identify the human side of what we're all trying to achieve. 
And so I think that's what, to me, that's what Whitaker is trying to put it. Cause he specifically says, I never really told anybody what my goal was. Right. He was just, he was just trying to make a difference through bringing humanity and empathy and, you know, treating people the way that he wanted to be treated um, on a daily basis. Welcome, Lindsay. Good afternoon. Cool. Thanks afternoon. for sharing, Robin. Yeah, you're fine. Thanks for sharing, Robin. I love that. Does anybody else have anything on the make it cool for care? Make it cool to care part? We did something very similar this year. It's uh, called Hoot Loops. The teachers give these to the children when they are following the rules that K through two, like good eyes, good hands, good feet, and then at three through five, the three R's. And we ended up mid-year raffling off a bicycle. The teachers give some little uh, gifts inside the classroom. We had somebody go out on a cart. And, you know, some people think that you shouldn't give gifts to kids like that, like you're bribing them. However, it worked extremely well. They, um, we gave away one bike to a little uh, boy wanted and a, a one girl bike and one boy bike. And it was, I was really impressed with it. This psychologist has been with the school systems for 30 some years. And so he said, I know what I'm talking about. I know what motivates kids. We didn't really put as much rigor into it and follow all of the guidelines like he recommended but I think we might fine tune it and maybe do something with it, or I'll recommend they do something with it later. That was one thing, but it was very similar to yours, Robin. But then I thought about when I was reading uh, Whitaker's book, when uh, early on I was the, which, not the DARE officer, but I had to implement that program drugs, something about drugs. It was many years ago when I worked for Department of Defense. And I look back on that now and I think, your audience is so wise and you have to be careful what you say to them because it was a script that I was following. And inside this script, it was saying things like, you know, if you do these drugs, you're going to have problems. And if you smoke marijuana, this is going to happen to you and all the bad things that go along with it. You know, and I know that those children were looking at me like, <laughs> my mom and dad had been smoking pot for 20 years. And here you are going to tell me what it does to them. So I, I just thought about this with Whitaker's thing. Sometimes what we throw out to people you just have to really pay attention to it. You have to really believe what you're saying or either, even if I, I didn't believe it back then when I was doing it, but it was my job. And they told me I had to follow this script. Sure. However, well, it's, it's, it's inauthentic communication, right, Mary? I mean, it's, it's, it's that, uh, you know, you're just reading something to read it, not to, not to, not to connect with it. And, you know, I even see some of that happening in charter schools, not as much as you see in, you know, other schools, but I do see that sometimes the teachers are just doing it because it's there. That's right. Yep. There's a great uh, story about a mom who brought their child uh, to Gandhi. I think it was Gandhi. Yeah, we'll go with Gandhi. 
And she said, hey, or the, no, it was a dilemma. Hey, can you, uh, can you please get my child to stop eating uh, sweets and sugars? Loves it. Can't stop doing it. And, um, and the dilemma is, yeah, can you bring them back in two weeks? And the mom looks at it. Okay. So two weeks later, the mom comes back, walks up, and he says, um, don't eat sweets or sugars. It's going to rot your teeth or whatever he says. And the mom's like, what? I just wasted all this time. And the kid walks away and says, why didn't you tell him two weeks ago? He said, because I myself was eating sugars and sweets, and I could not tell someone to do something that I was not willing to do myself. Right? So it's, it's really like this whole piece about what Whitaker's trying to get through is all about these Leadership is an inside job. And if you yourself are not good on the inside, it's going to appear <laughs> negative on the outside, right? I was a good, I won't say it was good. I was an outside leader. I was an outside the shell leader. I looked productive. I looked like I knew what I was doing, but inside I was not an effective character, integrous human being. So therefore what came out of me just as Mary was just sharing, like wasn't, wasn't authentic and it wasn't connecting and people weren't, you know, buying into it. And that's a, that's a real critical part. And, and so this other note I have leads right back to Robin's, you know, uh, point. It's when you change the way you look at things, the things that you look at change. So take a look at the way that you're communicating your core values. You're doing your positive behavior intervention, uh, you know, uh, support programs or, or how you're trying to build an infrastructure or, or all the curriculum and the you know, programmatic pieces that you're using, you know, unless they're mandated by your district. But even then, like, change the way you look at things and really start to identify how, how can we build, how can we build an, you know, how can we build an infrastructure that makes it cool to care that when we can get kids to buy in, not only just buy in, but really want to, um, want to exceed expectations for us. And it makes me think about this really great teacher that I had, um, Mary, you know, is her, her husband, uh, Jeff Gorski, her, her name was Shelby Gorski. At the time she was Shelby Lambert. And I remember getting a phone call uh, at, uh, you know, from a parent early in the morning. And they said, do I really need to bring my kid to school today? And it was the last day of the nine weeks and it was a half a day and, and, and Mrs. Uh, Gorski, was uh, doing benchmarks, right? On the nine week, end of third week, you know, benchmarks. And I said, I said, ma'am, I don't understand. What do you mean? She goes, well, look, it's a 45 minute drive to get to school. And he's only there half a day. And he's just gonna take this test. And then it's a 45 minute, you know, drive home. Like it's, it's just a waste of our time. But he's telling me he has to come to school today because Mrs. Gorski told him that it's really important. Now I happen to have this you know, child years before when I was an exceptional children's teacher at that school. And I said, let's just call her Mrs. Smith. Now, Mrs. Smith, you and I both know that little Johnny, three or four years ago, like, could barely read. And I think what I just heard you tell me is that he wants to come to school to take his reading benchmark for sixth grade because it's important to his teacher. I'll come get him if that's the case, right? <laughs> So this whole chapter about, you know, making sure you understand who your legends are, what are they doing? Like, I couldn't replicate what Mrs. Gorski did for kids, right? She was just amazing, and she still is, if you, you, you know, you might know her, she's a, a principal here in White County. I mean, she's an amazing human being who was able to build this 
unbelievable connections with kids to the point where they got excited. They got excited to take a benchmark. <laughs> right? And these were, you know, kids that were, you know, lower uh, performance. So I think that's such an important part is identify who, who your um, legends are in your school. Make sure that you're taking the time um, to, to put them in opportunities on a pedestal. And when I left Charter Day School uh, in December of 2011, um, you know, there was some sadness, I guess, you know, from some folks. I'm sure some folks were happy to see me go. But I hope that the message that I left, right, was the most important is that, is that the students are the most important thing on this campus and the teachers are the variable to ensure that, you know, uh, the uh, students learn. And I'm just here. Like, I'm the least important person on this campus. And if this campus needs me to be successful, then I haven't done my job. I'm not the right person for this place. And so I think those are some important, you know, parts for us to look at ourselves as leaders on the inside. How are we, how are we creating a culture and environment that makes it cool to care? What are we, you know, what are we doing, um, right? That's not about, that's not about us. It's about what's best for kids. So welcome. We've had a couple of folks uh, join us on here live. So great job. So let's, um, can we roll on to chapter 17 and 18 here? Don't, uh, don't need to repair, always do repair. Well, at least it's my chapter 17 is uh, chapter 17 here. And, you know, again, I just wrote myself a note that the first key to establishing a healthy relationship with others is to first have a healthy relationship with yourself. I'm not sure where, where else to go. And, and that's what I like when I think about my time, from 2006 to 2000, almost 15, I did not have a healthy relationship with myself. So therefore, it always, it always showed itself, um, right? It always, it always appeared in, you know, different places. And so I don't know if anybody's ever um, thought about that, you know, before, but I mean, gosh, how can you love or value people if you don't value you? And, um, you know, principals need um, to get to know uh, their people in more than just whether or not they can instructionally lead a class or not. And I just think that's such an important part to maintain a healthy relationship. Uh, and I first learned this from um, Dr. Um, Leslie Stein, who uh, was a turnaround you know, specialist, and he wrote this great book called Education Disrupted. And uh, he was a Marine and he taught me about the commander's notebook. Does anybody know or ever hear about the commander's notebook in the military? Now, who would have thought that the military uses relationships to get results? I would have never thought that. And I told him that during our podcast. I'll, I'll share the podcast out. But he said that every command, every, they had a notebook, right? And every single person that they were responsible for, they had a page. And they would, everything that came through that, you know, person's uh, personal life, they would write on that page because they always wanted to make sure that that individual knew that they saw them as a person first, right? Because they would never leave anybody uh, behind. It's about connecting with your uh, fellow, um, you know, colleague, right? I mean, we all had each other's backs. And I was like, I stopped the podcast when we interviewed him. I said, I said you need to tell me <laughs> as a member of the general population, I would have never guessed that relationships were really the key to this, you know, success. And he's like, yeah, how else do you think we would be able to, 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 to create influence and to build, you know, a capacity in people? 
he said, we tore them down, but then we built them back up through uh, relations. And um, what an amazing thought, right, to um, keeping these little side, you know, notebooks. But when you think about the people that you lead, I can guarantee you that you know some things about some of the people that you lead, that when you ask them about their, you know, their, you know, sister who might be sick, right, or their, you know, nephew who might be, you know, really struggling, you know that story and you ask them. You can see a difference in how they're going to uh, work with you, right? Because they just know, right? I do, you know, I've known Mary for a while now, right? So, uh, and she knows me well. So we've had professional conversations, but we've also had personal conversations, right? And I would do anything, you know, for Mary, and I would, I would think that she would too. And it's really because like we've got to know each other more than like, you know, we've, you know. Maybe our company has helped, you know, their school be better. I don't know. But I mean, it's more about like how I feel, right, about her and Grace, right? You know, uh, Grace and, you know, Shelly and I have started to have a little bit of a, you know, you know, mini relationship, right? Because it's all about she's, you know, being vulnerable. And she's like, hey, I, I did this and I did that, it, which is great. I mean, that's what it's all about is, you know, being able to connect with people in order to build this uh, relationship. So when Whitaker's talking about, you know, repairing and saying like a simple phrase, like, I'm sorry that that happened. Being such an effective first step in, you know, restoring any damaged relationship. Like, like why, why does that happen? Like, why are people, why do people lean in to an authentic apology? Why do you think? What are some of your thoughts on this chapter? I think that, um, you know, answering that question and learning how to say, I'm sorry that I happened, the book pointed out, it's not claiming that it's your fault. It's not claiming that it's the other person's fault. It's just you're genuinely sorry that whatever has occurred has occurred. And the person that you're talking to says, I'm sorry. And so just like, um, even today in my work, I feel like I'm modeling for students how to give a sincere apology. You know, you don't just say, sorry, you know, you need to say, I'm sorry for doing this because it made you feel this way, you know, and like really think about your apology and, and, and look at somebody. And so I had to like literally take a person and practice that with them. Um, before we went down the hallway today, I, I really tried to role play that with them. What do you think is going to happen? I'm going to come out and be the teacher and you practice that apology with them. And so same way with adults. I mean, uh, you know, they want to, um, they want to know that you are sorry that it happens. Perception is everything. And so by making sure that you make the statement, I'm sorry that happened, that is a truth. You can say that you're actually sorry that whatever it was, it happened. And I think that the critical part that you just said, Lindsay, is so wonderful is those first two words before the sorry. I am sorry, right? It's a, I am statements are really powerful really powerful and uh yes and that was the same thing when we did a standing ovations with those students i realized that they didn't know how to give compliments and me as a 40 almost a 45 year old i'm still learning how to accept them and if you could teach individuals those types of skills right how to give a compliment how to receive a compliment how to be vulnerable and apologize for when you did wrong 
those are those are individuals that are going to be the most powerful human beings on earth down the road, right? Because you know, I just I I like being around vulnerable people. I don't like being around fake people. It just doesn't excite me at all. Right? So good, that's great. Thanks for sharing, Lindsay. Who else? Anybody else on this? Don't need to repair and always do repair. What about this part where Whitaker talks about it being counterproductive to focus on getting teachers to admit that they were wrong? And what's the more productive approach? Has anybody ever had this fight? You know, like I, my wife has this fight a lot with the kids. I'm like, pick your battles. And she's like, I do. And I pick this one. This is the battle that I choose. Why is it just not worth your time? And Whitaker gives the great example of the, the um, effective teachers just not laughing. Right, that's the thing to do is to not laugh or to not react or to not buy into the negative, you know, behavior by adults. I recall uh, I was put in charge of an inner city school and the school had changed the populations um, significantly over the last year. And I remember it was maybe like, like my third or fourth uh, faculty meeting where I had a teacher stand up and when I had said, hey, how, you know, like, how, like what are we gonna do? Like, you know, we need to make some you know, significant changes um, right to our, you know, uh, culture. And one teacher got up and I, again, I, this just hit me over the weekend. And he said, uh, well, we gotta get rid of those kids. That's what he said. And I tried to think this weekend about well, what was the reaction? What was my reaction? And it was pretty much silence. And, and I do recall saying to him, well, if that's how you really feel, then we should probably have a talk about that in private. He, he actually quit that week. Um, and he was one of those, you know, a staple points of, of the founding staff of the school. But it's interesting as you read through Whitaker's work and, you know, like any great leadership author, like they, he, he, I love how he tells, he makes points through, you know, story. And I think here's just a great rule for everybody. Never make a, you know, you know, make a point without a story and don't tell a story without making a point. But he gets you to really reflect on what you have or have not done right or wrong in your career. And I, I thought about that. I was like, oh, I totally forgot about that situation. How did I react? Did I do it right? Did our people do it right? Who were the ones that were with them? Like, because I think about, should I have said, well, who else is with them? <laughs> All believe, but that wouldn't have been the right thing to do either. I'm shocked my ego didn't do that at the time. Uh, but a really, really powerful piece here about getting, getting um, yourself uh, right. You, you've got to be right first. I think this always goes back to leadership as an inside job. Knowing that you can, like, you know, Lindsay said, I can say I'm sorry to somebody. I'm okay with it, right? I mess up a lot. And um, I don't always know that I mess up when I mess up, right? So sometimes it takes me some reflection to uh, figure it out. But again, it comes back to being bigger on the inside than you are on the outside. And that's a big part of this 
taking that leaning in step. Um, and as my mentor says, Tom, do you want to be right or do you want to be rich? I say, I want to be rich. <laughs> I don't need to be right. And so that's a big, that's a big part of it uh, for me. That reminds me of a quote our counselor is going to do for next year. It's like, you can, you can make a difference or you can make a point. <laughs> Which one of those are you trying yeah. to make? That's super powerful. That's right. Yeah. And that one, that school I was talking about, you know, community school of Davidson and I joy, you know, she's on one of our podcasts too. And she said, she says, gosh, I have had to let go really, really good teachers. They just, they just weren't able to uh, function in our culture. They just weren't able to, you know, buy into this, you know, basic school model. They weren't in for the relationships. They weren't, they weren't in for the collaboration. And so, you know, they were able to, you know, make those, you know, changes. But the only thing that allows them to make those changes, if they have, you know, clarity on the front end, is this is who we want, right? These are the type of people that we want working with us and for us and as part of this organization. And having that uh, as much work as you can do front end loaded of your hiring process is so, so important. And I think about, you know, we've hired, um, Mary was one of our hires and she's done an incredible job. And uh, so we've been really, really fortunate. And, and, and so when we've hired uh, principals that haven't worked out at schools, I always take the time to reflect like, gosh, what the heck did I miss? You know, what was, what was maybe some part of the, of the hiring process that we didn't do enough of. And same thing I did when I was my own principal and, and I was hiring teachers. Nine times out of 10, it's a character flaw. You hire people for what they know or what they can communicate and you fire them for who they are. And so that's such a big part, right? How much of your hiring process has character-based activity embedded in the process? And I know some of you lead uh, district schools, so I'm not always sure of what your hiring a process is. It might be a little bit more, you know, challenging. I'm not sure if you're, you know, funneled folks, right? But then that starts up top, you know, from your central office, your school system. You know, you, you, you want to make sure that the people that you're interviewing are the people that fit your culture, you know, the culture that you're trying to create, the one that makes it cool to care. Yeah, in the public school, it's, um, if you don't get if you don't handle it the first or second year that they are with you, you can forget it. It's, yeah, it's, virtually, it's virtually impossible to fire somebody in public school up under the contracts that we deal with. And with right. the, uh, with the, um, the um, evaluation system that we have, it's, so you either hire right, know that after the first year you might have a second year you might be able to get them out but if you don't then it's done once they get hit that third year yeah well it's, a, it's about having a wave of goodness right it's about you know having enough really really positive people in the organization that that one negative person that gets really uncomfortable for them and todd talks a lot about that over these last you know couple of chapters is he said, you have to make difficult people or ineffective people uncomfortable, really uncomfortable, um, and not in a mean way and not in a, a bullying way. Just here are the expectations, right? 
here's how we will treat each other. Uh, here's what I see you doing, but yet this is what we all agree to. And just constantly, constantly, constantly be, you know, moving that because remember, beliefs drive behavior and you as a principal, you, you don't have enough time to change someone's beliefs, right? Or their core values. But he continues to focus on, but you can always and immediately direct inappropriate behavior, redirect inappropriate behavior, or let them know what, you know, what they've done. And, um, you know, we have all of our principal mastermind groups on uh, Mondays, and it's just interesting to me how, and I was guilty of this too, we spend more time on administrivia stuff than we do actually having those conversations or being in classrooms or you know, developing adults, how to lead other adults. And then we get ourselves into a situation like, you know, Robin's, you know, sharing about, gosh, what do we do? We're already past the point. They've been here for three years and no improvement. And now they're, now they're locked in or, you, you know, whatever the situation may be. And that's, then the dance of the lemons comes, right? Where they just, you just keep moving the person around and trying to find the place where they can do the least amount of damage, um, you know, uh, to the student body. And no leader should have to work that way. <laughs> I mean, that's, you, you never have to work that way. So if you're not going to direct those inappropriate behaviors, at least at minimum, make sure that you're building your top 20% of your staff so they can continue to multiply and be those vision casters and culture carriers in every single meeting, um, you know, that they have. So some of you may have been part, or maybe you've listened to the, uh, you know, to the process that that I, you know, teach about, you know, dealing with negative behaviors, and it's really, uh, you know, I learned it from um, Al Malawi, who turned around Ford, and it's just a joyful, joyful accountability conversation, uh, right? So Michael Hyatt also has a, you know, similar process, but it really comes back to getting really clear on expectations. Uh, you know, you know, behaviorally and, um, and uh, you know, action-wise, and then making sure that you are leading by walking around. And um, someone didn't like the term I use, but I'll just keep saying it, inspect what you expect, right? So just, just observe, observe what, what you expected. And if something looks even a tiny bit off, ask a question. Hey, here's what we had agreed to, uh, but here's what I see. Tell me how come you chose to use this book, right? Or, you know, tell me how come you, uh, um, you know, chose to line up your kids, you know, this way, you know, because we had all, I mean, whatever it is, if you don't have those communicated, agreed upon expectations, it's really hard to hold someone accountable uh, because you have not communicated to them effectively. So that's the vision. This is what I expected. The reality, this is what I saw. So help me understand. So you ask a question, you get really curious, right? Okay, I you did it that way. I see how you could have misunderstood. Uh, so the O is opportunity. So here's your opportunity to improve it, right? Here's what I like to see next time or whatever that may be. That's the feedback for growth. And then the final part that I've added is a letter L. It's leadership. And you ask them, how could I have communicated that better the first time? So you would have known exactly what was expected of you. So it's V for vision, R for reality, U for understanding, O for opportunity, and L for leadership.
Now, you have multiple ones of those over over the same reason, like the, the, you know the the same issue, and we no longer have a skill issue. We have a motivation issue, and that's that's a whole another level of action and counseling documents and action plans, whatever whatever your school system or school requires for you to to have in place. But that's a good start, right? Vision, here's what I expected to see. Reality, here's what actually happened. You helped me understand how can you chose that way or whatever. Uh, oh, here's how I would recommend you do it better. Here's what I want you to do next time instead. And L, how could I have been better in leading that for you so you would not have had to deal with it? Does anybody have a similar you know, framework or something that they use that has worked for them to, to have, help them have ineffective or conversations with ineffective or um, inappropriate staff members? So why is it important for you to direct staff members who are acting inappropriately immediately? What's the, I mean, we can get to an obvious answer, but what does Whitaker specifically point out? What do ineffective staff members do to effective staff members? Make them uncomfortable. They do make them uncomfortable. How come, Lindsay, you were one of those? You are the effective person. Why did it, why did it, why did inappropriate people make you feel uncomfortable? Because uh, a person that has a moral compass that they know down to their core that that person is not doing the right thing and they're purposely, you know, hurting others, hurting children, um, you know, by their actions and words. And so it makes people feel uncomfortable when they know that that person is doing that and that they know that that's not the right thing and that they're getting away with that and there's no consequence for that. Yeah. And you can't do anything yeah. about it because you're just a teacher. <laughs> well, right. And that's such an interesting point, right? And I think, interestingly enough, I would say at times, I think principals expect the teachers to say something. And that, and that again, that makes them, I mean, I would like to think that all our teachers are, you know, um, confident enough in themselves that they could say something like, what you're doing is hurting my feelings. That's rude. Um, mm -hmm. That might not be what's best for children. Um, but then again, you know, they know they've seen that person and their behaviors and it, it brings them down and they don't want to be the point of attack for that person. And so they really depend on the principal, the leader of the building to step in and say something because that is our job. Yeah. Yep. And this is not, this is not a, um, this is not a time for us to to hide, right? But I but I see it a lot in a lot of the you know if I get called into a school that's having cultural issues or you know like execution issues, it's always that's the case, is that the leader isn't having difficult conversations with you know people that they should or you know isn't clear, and they don't maybe they realize the impact on their people. But don't want to say that you know i'm not really sure where that comes from i know i've hidden from hard conversations many times so i would be hypocritical to say that i've always had one when i should have uh but but it's really obvious at times when folks don't have or do it now what if what if the people that are acting inappropriately don't really know that they're acting inappropriately now what 
Do you think that's possible? Because Whitaker thinks it is, right? Yes. He says they're just trying to, they're just doing the best as they can, right? And that's where, you know, declaring noble intent, you know, John Maxwell constantly talks about that. He says, I just, I, Lindsay, I put a 10 on your head and you will always have a 10 in my book until you do something, Lindsay, that knocks the 10 off. But that's your choice, not my choice. I'm going to keep that 10 on there. And gosh, what a really challenging leadership, you know, principle to follow, but it makes things a lot easier, right? If you could do that. And because as soon as you, as soon as you uh, break rapport, right? As soon as you break any sort of, um, uh, I no longer value you. It's really next to impossible to lead you. In fact, John Maxwell just had this up over the weekend. He said, when you stop loving your people, do them a favor and stop leading them. Because when you stop loving your people, you'll start man manipulating them. Relationships are the foundation of leadership. Should I lead people because I value people? That's where it has to start. And you have to keep coming back there. And uh, he's right. I mean, I can think about every time that I had lost, I just, I just didn't value the person anymore. I stopped going to their classrooms. I knew that they weren't gonna be with us any longer. And um, I'll never forget, you know, I coached high school baseball. And when this boy, he was about 21 or 22 at the time, he told me the story um, where I really made him mad because I was kind of like a Bobby Knight coach, right? I was very, you know, fiery and emotional and wasn't always nice. And so he walked off the field and sat down on the bench next to this kid who worked really, really hard, but he was really, really tiny. And he probably was just never going to be able, no matter how hard he tried. And so the, so the player that I yelled at was, you know, kind of, you know, cursing me under his breath. And the kid looked over and he said, at least he talks to you. The kid was 13 years old. I mean, I had already impacted him to that point because he had already known that I didn't value him. And that's why I, and, and when that kid told me that at 21, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to track that kid down. I love that kid. But the fact that my body language and my behavior made him feel that way, right? That's not his fault. That's my fault. And as a leader, you have to understand that body language, tone of voice, it's 93% of communication. And when you stop valuing people, it shows everywhere. And, um, you know, people feel it. It's a, and it's a big one. It's a big one. So what are some cool ways? Let's uh, finish up here with this call to action. So write, So I said write down 10 ways that you, you could be more visible as a school leader, right, and write why it's important. So I would love to hear, you know, from everybody, if you're willing, like what's one cool outside-the-box way that you have found to be more visible um, as, a, as a principal or, you know, administrator? You know, one for me is I used to just set a timer and go, right? I used to be like, hey, I'm going to lead by walking around. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask, you know, three personal questions. And, you know, you know, how are you doing? What are you working on? Um, how can I help? Right. That's a, those are, those are three questions towards employee retention. How are you doing? What are you working on? And how can I help? Uh, and the other thing that I thought I enjoyed doing, because it gave me a different perspective of the school is I would just go tell a, um, I would switch uh, duties with one of the staff members or just take their duty, whether it was morning or afternoon, and um, just to give them a break, right? Or let them be the person walking around, you know, kind of just watching over things. Because I wanted to experience 
what my teachers were experiencing in car line and things so I could one problem solve and two you know see any uh, bigger issues but also just you know let them know that you know I was willing to do anything that they were willing to do and if it seemed like a yucky job I was like boy that job stinks let's get you out of there let's go find a different way <laughs> to, to monitor these schools so those were a couple of things that I had written down who else has a way to be more visible on campus Lindsay, I saw you reaching. Go ahead, go. So, Robin, you go first, and then Lindsay, go ahead, Robin. Okay, I have. Um, so we have a new building, new construction, and it has two separate sides: um, the STEM side and the humanities side. So I make it a point that um, I go visit each side every day, and um, and that includes, I walk down the hallways, I look in every classroom, I say good morning to every teacher or good afternoon and to the class. Um, sometimes, it, you know, I don't interrupt, you know, I just kind of wave if the teacher's kind of in a groove. But if a teacher is paused, then anyway, I'm in there. Um, and so I just make it a point that I have to hit both sides of my building every day, whether, you know, and I, look at my schedule and try to and figure out when that's going to happen. And so that's how I get yep. out. And then of course at the bells, I'm in the hallway. Yes. Transition time. Critical. Always got to be out there to see what's going on. All right. Perfect. Lindsay. Um, Miss Edwards and myself, we do duty every single morning. She does outside duty and I take the cafeteria. That's my preference. I love being around those kiddos in the mornings for breakfast duty. So we're out every single day, you know, for both duties. And um, in between time, um, in the mornings, Miss Edwards and myself, and we have guests that come with us, we do a morning broadcast and I film that and put out a little video. So that way the kids see us just a short 10 minute or less video every morning for the kids to feel like they're connecting with, with us. And so they're not just hearing whatever they're hearing from their teacher, they're actually hearing it from Miss Edwards and myself. Um, so that's a different way that we're visible. And you know what, that's a way to engage students because they will, you can go in that classroom and stand in front of them or you can put yourself on a video and they're gonna listen to that video because they're just like zoned in. So that's one way at our school that we um, are visible to our students every day is through that broadcast. I love, I love it, great action step. Who else Lynn, like to share? Lynn, you wanna go Tammy? Yes, ma'am, Mary. Lindsay, will you share though, how do you physically make that video? Like, is it a view and somebody is filming you so, doing something yeah. or what? So just like we're doing right now, like we could do it. Um, normally we like to stay in the same office together and I use iMovie as my go-to movie maker, um, but you can use Zoom. What we're doing right now, record a Zoom and you can send it out after this zoom he's recording it right now it'll make him a file it'll convert him a file and so he can send that out but i use youtube so i have a movie that we create on zoom and then i load it into iMovie and then into youtube now it sounds like a lot now that i'm explaining it, it does so so what what are you actually doing though or telling the kids is it the routine things or we do the mission every day there's there's my co-host right there she does it every day we do to love learn and grow together with our mission we have guest speakers yeah. go ahead Ms. Edwards we, we highlight students uh and have students on there with us mostly it's just like like Lindsay said like we're talking about our kids see that and they feel like we're talking to them because we're communicating on this video 
like we're talking to you. And so if there are building wide issues we need to address, like if we're having issues on the playground, we can address that. They're hearing that message from the top down and it makes them feel like they know us. They know who Ms. Edwards is. They know who Dr. McBride is. They see us every single day. And when I have someone in my office, I can say, did you hear when we talked about so-and-so on the broadcast? And they're like, yes, ma'am. Well, what did I say? They can tell you it's short, it's cheesy. I'm gonna tell y'all, it's the cheesiest thing you've ever seen. We fly by the seat of our pants and just roll with it, whatever, you know, it's not just announcements, it's building wide social emotional learning things that we want to push out. And so they're hearing that um, unified message from the top down and they, because they see us, they know us, um, you know, they feel like we know them too, and we do, but um, they feel like we're talking to them personally. And it's short, it's usually, you know, anywhere from six to 10 minutes long. Uh, we do like to feature students or classes so that they're seeing themselves on there. We draw gold tickets. Can know, the teachers show it at any time or you have to listen to it at yes. the same? We Everybody tell them it's the mandatory that they have to watch it sometime in their day, but they can pick that time. A lot of them will do it like when they come in from recess um, as they're having their snack, that sort of thing, and they'll pull it up on their screen. And um, it's a requirement they watch it every day, but when they put that in their schedule is up to them. And some days it's Lindsay doing it, some days it's you doing it. We do it together every day. Uh, do it together. They oh, see I us love together it. Every well, what's the name day. of your school? Collegeville Elementary School in Bryant, Arkansas. And it takes me a few minutes. Bryant, Arkansas. I love it. Thank you for it sharing. It takes a few minutes to load it up, but uh, the payoff is worth the few minutes yeah. it takes me to upload That's it. That's great. Thank you. It's we do cheesy, that. Like we do it, but we do it over the intercom. And I think I like your way better. I'm, I like it because they see our face. Yes. And they, then when they see us in the building, they know who we are and they know what we've said. And we, we like that part. I know that's, what you mean. Yes, that's good. Thank you. And really, Mary, until you, you know, decide to take your, your talents up to the Lindsay stage of transitioning it to all of that, you could really just record um, Zoom or Google, whichever one you use, Google Meet, and just push that out. Mm -hmm. Just yeah. email it and they can watch it when they want to. We did that when we were Another great wave. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any other uh, great ways you want to show share, uh, Tammy? I didn't know if you had you had something you wanted to like a specific no, strategy. I try to be out in the building, even if it's just to pop in every classroom at some point every day. Um, I try real hard to do that. Sometimes I'll make the rounds first thing in the morning if I can before things blow up. Right after we video that uh, morning broadcast, I'll try to just make the rounds and. Um, get in. Um, as far as like observations and stuff, this year has been the year that we've um, just given a little grace in regard to some official observations, but I just want my face to be seen. I want teachers to know I'm here to support you. It doesn't happen every day. We all know that, um, but I do try to at least just pop in for five minutes, make a zip around the room and back out if I can at all. Yeah. And I love, you know, I, I used to love uh, um, touring with a cohort of kids, you know, maybe for like a period or two, um, or even going through car line, right, or the walking line, or just as much as possible, just, you know, being in the lines, or, you know, we had a lot of, you know, families, uh, you know, walk their kids up to the school. And so if I would, you know, be at the top of campus and be able to walk down with them, I mean, you know, anything to get an understanding of what the culture was, 
you know, happening, right? What's the real inside information that, that, we, that we need? And then also, you know, to just engage um, as much as possible. So you've got your school events, you could, um, you could, you know, uh, do the four corners, four walls, if you've ever had that exercise, and that's to extend your leadership to those four uh, corners of your campus and make sure that, you know, at least maybe once, you know, once a month or so, you're walking those entire, you know, corners and seeing the school from a different perspective. You're seeing it from a uh, potential family, potential employee, you know, coming in through the car line, um, and actually like experiencing, can I find a parking spot, right? Or can I call the school and actually someone will talk to me? Like all these little things that you could up-level the experience. These are all great, great opportunities to eliminate um, those like ineffective or those negative, um, you know, behaviors at your school. And even if you've got, you know, school buses, ride a school bus, right? Make sure that you're um, including all of your bus drivers in, in your you know, culture training and your positive behavior you know, training and make sure that they know and understand what you're trying to um, accomplish because a child's first experience every single day is that first step on the bus, right? Or if the bus is late or whatever's happening that's already put a negative experience. So how do you, how do you address all those pieces? So those are some, those were some opportunities that I, that I jotted down. So. All right. Well, listen. Great week, and and thanks so much for uh, for listening to to uh, my story about standing ovations. I put some pictures in the Facebook page. I'll put this video up probably in the next uh, couple of hours. It'll be up there. And uh, looking forward to next week is our last is our last time together uh, about this book. But hopefully, if you haven't yet, uh, we the next book we're doing in May is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. And uh, we're going to move the time to 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so if this time didn't always work out for you live, maybe 7 p.m. Eastern uh, would be it. And uh, so we're going to try Brene Brown. And it's really cool is that she's done, an, she actually has this whole section on her website uh, for educators. Uh, so we've downloaded that, you know, workbook that she uh, gives out. And what my uh, teammate, uh, Katie, and I, who uh, most of you haven't met yet, we're going to try to mimic and we're going to put you all through breakout sessions. So, so we're going to try to mimic and model what you could do with your staff uh, based upon Brene Brown's book and the um, uh, study guide exercises that she has about how to get vulnerable, how to, how to, how to lead rumbles, and all those other uh, conversations. So I'm really looking forward to that uh, study uh, starting in, in uh, May. So hopefully you will uh, join that and um, bring a colleague or nine, bring your whole team. It'll be fun. So, all right, everybody, have a great week. Take care of yourselves, wear your mask, wash your hands, and wait your turn. Let's take care Tom, of each other. Tom, I have a question so, bye -bye. for you. Tom, I have a question. Yeah, sure. hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode of the Principal's Office podcast. There's two things I want you to do. One is if we said anything that you liked or added value to you or helped you as a leader, please share it out, like it, and make sure you subscribe so you get the notifications when the next uh, podcast is available to you. And secondly, if you want to download the study guide and the show notes and the resources like the hiring plan and the extra lessons about how you can grow yourself and grow your team as a leader, make sure you go to our website at lbleaders.com and at the very top of the homepage, you're going to see a prompt that says, join our What Great Principles Do Differently study. Click on that, and you will be able to download all of the show notes 
all of the study guides and all of the additional resources uh, that will help you be the most effective school leader. Again, make sure you uh, subscribe, make sure you share, make sure you like, and looking forward to seeing you on the next episode where we continue to talk about Todd Whitaker's What Great Principles Do Differently. Thanks, everyone.